I, I don't know. I, I guess I just had that feeling right now. So I, I hope there's not something that I'm forgetting that I really should be doing. But what, what's more important than sharing God's word, right? So I, I definitely want to do that with you as we finish up the book of James. We, we started that sometime in January, and I kind of want to do a recap of the entire book today. It's such a rich book, and, and I do love the book of James. And, and I was kind of thinking, like, what does a healthy church look like? And it's not necessarily large. A church could be really large and be unhealthy. A church could be really small and be unhealthy. Right? I think a healthy church is full of maturing Christians. People who are looking more and more like Jesus and sounding like Jesus and acting like Jesus more and more every day. To me, that's a healthy church. And of course, church is a community of believers. We, we can't be our best Christian in isolation. We need other people. We need to be connected with others. It is God's will that you grow. Hebrews 6 1 is on the overhead up there. But in, let me just quote in part let us go on to maturity. Maturity is God's will. It's God's will that you grow. It's not God's will that you stay a baby Christian forever. Think about babies for a minute. They are so cute. We love them. But what if that baby never grew? It stayed a baby all its life. That would actually be sad, wouldn't it? It would mean that something's wrong with that baby, that it's not healthy. It should grow. And so should you. We all should grow up in maturity in Christ. But how do I know when I'm making progress? How do I know that I'm growing? I think the book of James can be really helpful to us here. But first, let me say a few things of what maturity is not. These things... We might think in our mind, that person's really mature. I'm really mature in Christ when that's not the case. Let's look at several of those. The first would be longevity. You know, the person that's been a, a Christian for 50 years, they've, they've been in church. They've had every position in church. And we think they must really be mature because they've been saved for 70 years. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're that mature in Christ. That means they've just sat in a pew for 50 years. It's not how long you've lived. It's who you've lived for. Have they lived for Christ? Wisdom does not always equal sign age. I've met very wise young people. Hebrews 514 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So it's not just longevity, just being an old timer. A second is looking and being religious, looking and being religious like the like in Jesus's day, the Pharisees, they, they were the people everyone thought, wow, they're really spiritual they're, They really know God. They wore long robes. They stood on street corners and prayed. Why? So everybody would look at them and think that they're really spiritual, think there's something it was all outward appearance. It was just a for show. So people would admire them. Maybe we think of in our minds the Amish, you know, with a guy with his hat and his beard. He must be really spiritual. Or, or the priest with the clergy collar and the long robes. Certainly they're really spiritual, right? 
They look spiritual. They talk a good talk, but maybe they don't live it. Maybe they do, but maybe they don't. We don't know just by looking and being religious. A lot of times religious people are more into rules than relationship. Here's a third one. Achievement. Achievement. First uh, Corinthians 13, one to three. The Apostle Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Give my body to be burned. I mean, like the ultimate sacrifice, right? You give your life. You give away all your money to the poor. You're a Christian superstar. We look at these people that are a great Christian speaker or singer or writer. They, they build a mega church and we just automatically assume they must be spiritual giants to do that. Not necessarily. They could be quite immature. Here's a fourth one is knowledge. Someone who has a lot of knowledge, right? A lot of degrees. They have so many degrees, you call them Dr. Fahrenheit. Luke uh, chapter 3, 1 to 2. Let's see a contrast here. I hope you see it. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Traconitus and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, but the titles, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. What, what do you want, a title or a testimony? Right? Do, you, do, you, do you want a title, a degree after your name, or do you really want to know God? Just having a lot of knowledge, book knowledge, knowing verse and chapter, doesn't mean necessarily that you're mature. And the last one, I would say charisma. Maybe there's a better word for it. Uh, the person who's like ultra gifted. They're a great speaker. They're really good looking. They can point you to the latest guru. You've got to read this book. You've got to go to this conference. You know, without it, you'll, you'll never really arrive. None of that stuff makes you spiritual. Okay, makes you mature. Those are probably ways you don't grow. Now, let's look at some ways we do grow. What, what is maturity? Christian maturity, I think, is simple definition. The lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Lifelong progress, process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Romans 8.29 tells us, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's growing in character. What you are in the dark when no one is looking. Your reputation is what other people say about you. Your character is what God says about you. So the book of James is a manual on maturity. I love this book. It's so practical. James must have been from Missouri, the show me state. 
He doesn't want, it doesn't matter how you look, doesn't matter what you talk, but are you living it? Are you acting it out? That's what James wants to know. And he uses a word or a derivative of a word five times. And I thought it would be really cool if that word appeared in chapters one, two, three, four, and five, but it doesn't. It's all in chapters one, two, and three. But we're going to look at five character traits from each chapter of the book of James that we've just gone through that I call marks of maturity. And let's look at those. And that, that word is, by the way, is teleos. And it is a word that means perfect, complete, mature, brought to the proper end. It's being all you were created to be. It's fulfilling your purpose. That's the teleos person. So let's look at those five. Okay, one from each chapter. The first character trait we want to look at is a mature person perseveres under pressure. A mature person perseveres under pressure. And under each one of these, I want you to look at these and think about how am I doing in this area? All right. James one, two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. There's that word lacking in nothing. James says, whenever you face trials, he doesn't say if you face trials, he says, whenever that means you are going to face trials, they're inevitable. You're going to go through trials. God puts you in situations where you have a choice to make. You're going to choose to grow or not grow. If you choose the easy way out, you're going to make another lap around the mountain. I always think of the, the Jews of the wilderness of the Exodus, how a 40 day trip to the promised land took them 40 years. Why? Because they kept making the same mistakes over and over again. So they just kept making another lap around the mountain. And it took them 40 years to get there. We don't want to be hard headed like that. So how do you react to problems in your life? Do you throw a temper tantrum? Do you grumble and complain to anyone who'll listen? Do you give up? Do you get drunk? Do you overeat? Do you overspend? Do you look at porn? Do you run and hide? A lot of life is about solving problems. If you deal positively and constructively with those problems, you're going to grow on to maturity. And there's always a reason for your trial. You may not know what that reason is. You may not see what it is in this life, but know that there is a reason for your trial. God has put you in that so you will grow. And if you doubt that, just deal with your problems negatively. You won't grow. You'll just make another lap around the mountain. Know this, God wills the best for you while you're going through that trial. So don't stop believing in God when things get tough and go, where's God? Why has God abandoned me? God is right there with you. So trust that he is good. Part of James 1.12 says, who remains steadfast under trial. And when he or she has stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. You'll receive a reward for persevering. For being faithful. Eventually, we're going to graduate from the trials of life. But until then, we've got to take those tests. So how are you doing in this one? How are you handling your problems? 
Are you being faithful and pushing through, continuing to walk with God and trust him? Here's a second mark of maturity. A mature person is loving. A mature person is loving. James 2, 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Love is doing well. It's doing right. And the person who loves, loves everyone, not just themselves or their family and friends. Immature people love themselves and the people who give them what they want. Mature people love people who are not like themselves. The ones who are hard to love, in other words, their enemies. It's not easy to fake God's love for a long time. It's not easy to fake loving your enemy. James gets very specific in chapter 2. In the verses before that, in verses 1 to 6, he says, don't show favoritism to some people and not others. He says, don't be a snob. Don't judge by appearances. Don't insult people. Don't exploit people. That's not loving them. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 gives the positive side of love. He gives a long list there of what is love. Truly the love of God. And he winds up saying, if I don't love, I'm nothing. Doesn't matter all these other exploits I do, even kingdom things. If I don't love, I'm nothing. Love isn't just a feeling, right? It involves action. And Jesus says something interesting in Matthew chapter 25. That's a really good place, I think, if you want to look at how am I doing spiritually? What does Jesus say there? Am I feeding the hungry? Am I giving the thirsty people out there something to drink? Am I clothing those who don't have proper clothing? Am I visiting the sick person and the shut-in and the prisoner? How am I doing in those areas? These, these people we don't normally notice. They're not on our radar screen. They're certainly not the popular people, the popular crowd, the people you want to hang out with. But Jesus says, by reaching out to those people, that's what I see. Jesus said, in fact, if you've done those kind deeds to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it for me. Jesus says that that person that no one is noticing out there that you're reaching out to with the love of Christ. It's just like I was standing there and you're doing it for me. He goes on to say, you'll be judged how you treat others. And the others there are probably strangers. That's kind of a scary thought. I'm not going to be judged by how many verses I memorized, but how I treated the stranger. Have I really loved people? So how are you doing in this area? Right. Is your love, Christian love, pretty, pretty good? Is it pretty much up there? Or would you say, I think I've got some room for growth. A mature person is loving. Thirdly, a mature person has mastered their tongue. Uh Uh-oh. James 3, 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Also able to bridle his whole body. The teleos man, the perfect man, the mature person. Have you ever suffered foot and mouth disease? I have. Go to the doctor. And the doctors maybe don't do this much anymore, but they used to say, stick out your tongue, right? They take a look at your tongue. 
And then they put a thermometer in your mouth. Hopefully that's where they put it. Because they know that indicates health. They 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 know that 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 tongue and your temperature taken in your mouth indicates a lot about how you're doing physically. So your mouth, your tongue indicates a lot of how you're doing spiritually. James in chapter three says our tongue is like the rudder of a ship. A rudder of a ship is small, right, in in a huge boat like the, the Queen Mary or something. But that rudder gives direction to that ship. So does your tongue. If you don't like the direction that your life is heading, what are you talking about? What's the stuff that's coming out of your mouth? Is it really just negative and doubt filled words? So your life is probably going downhill. James also likens our tongue to a spark. Just a little spark, he says, can ignite a whole forest on fire, just like flicking a cigarette. But out the window can uh, can affect dry grasslands or a forest and set it all ablaze. Have you ever met a verbal arsonist? Are you one? Are you critical? Sarcastic? A gossiper? Negative? That's immaturity. Some people are proud how they talk. I just tell people how it is. I'm just frank, you know, and they feel really proud about that. It's like their words are like a gun. I just pull my gun out and just let them all have it. Here's what the Bible says. Ephesians 4:15. rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Yes, speak the truth, but do it in love. Ephesians 4:29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So ask yourself, am my words that I'm saying to my spouse, my children, my family, the neighbors, am I building them up or am I tearing them down? Do I need to just shut up? James 126. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We can deceive ourselves. Yeah, I've memorized a thousand verses. I'm really holy. I go to church three times a week. But if I'm a gossip, my religion is worthless. If I spread rumors about people, my religion is worthless. If I boast all the time. My religion is worthless. Okay, how am I doing in this area? Maturity? Am I at a good place with my tongue? Or do I have a little more room for growth? We all probably do, right? Okay, here's a fourth one. The mature person is a peacemaker. The mature person is a peacemaker. James 4.1 What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Do you desire to be important? Do you desire to have more than other people have? Do you desire pleasures? Desires cause conflict. Do you love to argue? Are you contentious? 
easily irritated? Are you defensive? Do you hurt others' feelings a lot? Are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? The church at Corinth had a lot of problems, and it's not surprising because they argued about everything. They argued about leaders, spiritual gifts, communion, and a bunch of other stuff, too. And Paul said, you guys are immature. If you're causing a lot of conflict in your life, you're immature. You may think you're spiritual. You may think you're pleasing God, but really you're immature. Why is there so much conflict in the home, the church, in the world? Let me give you two reasons here. James chapter 4. The first is selfishness. Selfishness from James 4, 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You want it now and you don't want the other guy to get it. It's just pure selfishness. And the other reason is a judgmental attitude. Judgmental attitude. We see that in James 4.11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There's our tongues again. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Why shouldn't I judge my brother? And by that word judge, I'm defining it, acting as their judge, jury and executioner. Because I'm not God. I don't see the whole picture. I don't have all the facts. I can easily misunderstand the situation. I don't know their motives. So how can I truly judge them, be their jury and executioner? I really can't. So what about you? Are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? And the fifth characteristic from James chapter 5, a mature person is Prayerfully patient. A mature person is prayerfully patient. Let's read two verses. James 5, 7, where he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. And then 5.13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So this word patient occurs four times in James chapter 5 and pray or prayer seven times. So it was hard to distinguish which one should I talk about in chapter 5. I'm going to do both. I'm going to create a new word. Prayerfully patient. Patiently prayerful and put them together. Okay. so let's take one word. Two words and make it into one. Patience is a really hard virtue to master. Very few of us are really patient. I know I've thought if only there was a pill I could take and I would be instantly patient. Wouldn't that be great? And the fact that I desire this pill makes me know that I'm not really very patient. In fact, just get me out on the road most of the time, and my impatience really is shining forth for everyone to see. So when do I need patience? James says in this chapter five, I need patience when circumstances don't change. When people don't change. And when life doesn't make sense. That's a lot, isn't it? That's 
a lot of life. So I need patience. And so to learn patience, I need to learn to wait. And so while I'm waiting, is there anything I can do while I'm waiting? Yeah, I can pray. And that's what James goes on to say in the second part of chapter five. Pray and wait, wait and pray. Your children have to learn that, right? Don't they have to learn patience? They ask you for something and you say no. And they keep asking. Well, they got to learn that no sometimes means no. No doesn't always mean no for the moment, but later you'll get it. No, sometimes means no, but sometimes it means, yeah, you'll wait a little bit. Wait till after supper and then you can have that cookie. So we Christians have to learn those lessons as well. We pray to God. We want God to answer right now. And God says, no, I want you to wait. And while you're waiting, just keep praying. Keep trusting me. Keep believing. I'm at work in you. I've got this. I'm maturing you. I've got a plan. You can trust me. It's hard to do. So, but that's what we can do while we're waiting. We can pray. So wrapping it up here. How do you handle problems? If you're maturing, you're going to be handling problems better and better. Am I loving toward everyone? How am I doing with my tongue? Is my tongue under control? Am I a peacemaker or a troublemaker? And can I wait for God to answer in his perfect timing and pray until he does? Those are marks of maturity from the book of James. And as I see those things developing in you and me, man, that makes me one happy pastor. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, say goodbye to the book of James, been a lot of wonderful lessons. He's so practical. And I'm so thankful that you inspired your brother to write this letter. And Lord, there's so much good there to apply to our lives and help us to do that. And as we apply your word, we know that we're going to grow. And we do. That's our desire, Lord, to know you better. Not just on Sunday, but of course, every day through the week. So help us on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Wake up. And to put into practice your word and and that we will all grow as you desire us to. In Jesus' name, amen.